All right, test, 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 there we go. I think that's good, good to me. You want me to test Jason's? Yeah. 
All right, Jason's here. This is good. Yep, 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 yep. I think we're good. Thank you.
you may be seated. If you don't know the person sitting next to you, I'm sorry. <laughs> Make sure you introduce yourself later. For the next 30 minutes, it's just going to be uncomfortable because now it's been pointed out that you don't know them. All right, Tim, worship team, thank you. Jason, thank you. Uh, you guys won't laugh near as much with me up here as you will with Jason, but my name is James. Um, pre, uh, I got a name tag. Tim has a name tag. I don't forget who I am. Might want to might get you one of those. Um, RJ, it's good to see you. You were here. For those who don't know, was it, was it about four Sundays ago? About four Sundays ago, uh, we brought RJ up. We prayed for him. He was having brain surgery the next day. Um, look at him. He looks good. A lot better than before. Very good. And for our friends online, I won't call everybody out by name because that's not a practice of mine, but our friends online, Pat and Donna, it's good to see you guys. And uh, Ken and Cheryl, it's good to have you back on this side of the state. We are looking forward to when you can, uh, you can clap for them. For those who don't know what's going on with that, Ken and Cheryl have been on the other side of the state for months, months with Ken getting uh, stem cell transplants. Uh, he's got it all done. He's back on this side and we're excited to see God continue to move and work there. All right, don't laugh, but I have a friend. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> Sherry wants to clap. <laughs> I have more than one friend, I hope. But I have a friend who is about 10 years older than me who does Ironman races. All right, for those who don't know, that's a long swim, a long bike, and a long run. This guy doesn't like running. In fact, the very first uh, Ironman race he did, he wore a shirt that said, I hate running. <laughs> Actually, I think it said, running sucks, but I'm not supposed to say that word in church. So it says, I hate running. He doesn't like long bike rides either. And though he's good at swimming, he doesn't like just getting in the water to swim for a long time. Um, he's done eight or nine or ten of these things. I asked him once, um, why do you do these? And that opened up the opportunity for him to share with me a charity that he races for. You see, he races for a cause. Uh, about eight years back, he got connected with a group out in Post Falls called Race for Anna. It's, it's an organization, a 501c3, that raises money for kids with cancer. So younger than, you know, younger than those that I've talked about so far this morning. And uh, every year, a couple of months before he races, he sends out a text. Hey, I'm racing again for Anna this year. Do you want to help support us? He doesn't care about the finisher's hat. He doesn't care about the finisher's t-shirt. He's even given his medal away. Who gives their medals away? He went and visited a kid in the hospital and gave him his finisher medal. He races for a cause, not for the swag. So when he asked Abby and I if we would give to the cause, we are like, oh, absolutely. So we clicked on the little link, and we started filling it out, and at the end of it, it gives you two options. One, you can tell people who you are and how much you gave, or two, you can keep it anonymous. Well, as far as I know, we've been clicking two, keep it anonymous, because I think we take Jesus' word serious, so don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And uh, give your gifts in secret, and God who sees in, in heaven will, will, will bless you for it. Well, now, of course, I've told the secret that we, that we give, but why do I do that? Well, it's because sometimes we cannot stay anonymous. Sometimes the things we say or do have to become no longer a secret, but it becomes known of who we are and what we do. Sometimes we cannot hit the anonymous button. Let me pray, and I'll tell you a little bit more. God, thank you so much for this group that's both in-house, those that are watching online, and those who may be watching later today or later this week. I thank you that we can gather 
under one roof without concern of, uh, of oppression, without concern of attack. I thank you that we can open your story, and I thank you that you will talk to us. I pray, Lord, that you will say what you want to say. Help us here. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so grab a Bible. Uh, turn with me to John chapter 19. If you didn't bring a Bible, a brown book under the seat in front of you, not the green one, the brown one. And if you have a phone, you can just type it into a Bible app or just put it in Google. Turn to John chapter 19, verse 38. Now, I know that on Easter Sunday, around the globe, the overwhelming majority of sermons are going to be about a risen Christ. You know, as Jason said so many times in a church, someone's going to stand in front and say, He is risen. That's right. They're going to say that. Overwhelming majority of sermons will, know, will be about Jesus no longer being in the tomb. So don't miss that. Don't miss the truth of that, the beauty of that call and response. One more time. He is risen. <coughs> Excuse me. Today, I want to take us back in the story. Not to the empty tomb quite yet, but back to John chapter 19, to a story we started looking at last week in the moments to minutes to maybe hours after Jesus breathed his final breath. John chapter 19, verse 38 to 42. It says, After Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus, because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. <coughs> Excuse me. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night, he brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Excuse me one second. <coughs> Verse 40. <coughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Might have to have Jason stand up here and read. <coughs> Where are we at? <coughs> Here we go, verse 40. Following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices and long sheets of linen cloth. The place of crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb, never used before. And so, because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. All right, besides Jesus, two main characters in this story, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. We met them last week as Joe and Nick in the service. Both men higher up in society, both religious elite, both well-off, both well-known, both rich, and both would have lost every bit of that status the minute the secret came out that they were followers of Jesus. So they hadn't shared their allegiance to Jesus before this moment asking for Jesus' body. Yes, in Luke 23, Joe didn't approve of the religious elite trying to arrest and crucify Jesus. And in John chapter 7, John, a Nick, didn't, uh, didn't <coughs> excuse me, uh, asked if it was legal to give a hearing to somebody without, um, convict a man without a hearing. And, uh, but he didn't say that he was a follower of Jesus. So both Joe and Nick, neither had said anything because of fear, is what we saw last week. Fear of the religious authorities, the group that they were a part of. But eventually they had enough. And the cat got let out of the bag. They, they couldn't keep it a secret anymore, so they went to Pilate and asked for the body. When they came and took down the body, they could no longer hit the button that said, Remain Anonymous. 
And the things that they did from that point on, they were anything but secret. All right, let's look. Verse 39. So for 38, Joseph comes. He asked Pilate for uh, permission to take the body. In verse 39, it says, With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and oils. And uh, aloes, excuse me. My translation reads 75 pounds. Some of your translations are going to read 100 pounds. In uh, the Roman time, uh, a pound for them was 12 ounces. How much is a pound for us? 16. Okay, so do the math. The math whizzes. That means that when it says 100 pounds in your Bibles, it was roughly 75 in, in our day and age. But I'm going to say 75. I'm going to say 100 interchangeably. Uh, either way, it doesn't matter. That's a whole lot of spices. Yes? Hey, I mean, can you wrap your mind around that? John, you mind just standing up? Come here, just hold that for a second, okay? Just hold it, okay? 55 pounds of dog food right there, all right? Now, it says 75 to 100 pounds, right? 20-pound dumbbell, okay? I feel, don't, don't move, okay? Imagine with me. Are you good? Imagine if he had to walk a quarter mile. Half mile, a mile from his house to where Jesus' cross was. Johnny, would you get tired? Yeah. Okay. So just the sheer weight of it is crazy. The amount of that. We'll stop. Yeah. <laughs> if the weight wasn't enough. Picture John with 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe trying to make his way through the crowded streets of Jerusalem. Passover, busiest weekend of the entire year. And he's got this thing that smells amazing. 75 pounds of it that smells amazing. For those that don't know, my office is up in the corner. And eight-ish years ago, I used to burn, um, it's not incense, but a little wax the little cubes of wax that you'd put on like the little wax burner. Some of you know what that is, right? Sometimes you plug it in, sometimes you just light a candle. It's like two ounces, all right? Lavender. Oh, I love lavender. So I'd put this little two, two ounces of lavender on the top of this little thing. I'd plug it in. I'd close my office door because I, you know, I didn't want it being too strong for anybody else. Within about five minutes, I'm seeing daisies and unicorns <laughs> all wearing lilac-colored Easter shirts. And Heather, who was the administrator at that point, she would smell it from when she got out of her car outside. <laughs> Two ounces. Imagine a hundred pounds of that. You can't keep that a secret. Excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You could not hide that. Can't keep that anonymous anymore. Now, oh, come to think of it, where would you even get that much spice? Do you think, do you think Nick had that much spice in his pantry? I had one source that said, at best, the average house in Jerusalem might have, might have five pounds of spices in their, in their pantry. That's a whole lot less than 100. I'm not a math whiz, but five is a lot less than 100. Okay? 
So Nick goes home, opens his pantry, pulls out the five pounds. He's like, shoot, that's not going to be enough. Calls Joe. Joe, do you have some spice? Goes and gets Joe's spice. They got five plus five equals. Help me. Ten. She's a math teacher. That's right. Out in the valley. Go to her school. You will learn lots. Okay. Um, <coughs> that's still, they're still 90 pounds short. So what do they do? Jerusalem have a Home Depot? No. You go to Trader Joe's, right? Trader Joseph's of Arimathea. Oh. Oh. That's <laughs> where it started, right? You go to the local farmer's market because three hours from sundown on the Passover, no local farmer's market is going to have 90 pounds of spices left. They're going to be bought out. So what do you do? You go knocking on your neighbor's doors? Hey, hey, I got 10 pounds of spices. I need to get to 100. Can you give me your five? Oh, yeah, sure. What's it for? I'm going to embalm Jesus. Uh, I, don't want any, I don't want any part of that. Right, because then they'd be an accomplice. Where did they get this? We don't know. But it couldn't have been a secret as to where they got it from, because you can't keep that anonymous. Now, so we got the weight, we got the smell, we got we got the sheer amount. What about the price of that much? Yeah. Mm, mm, mm. Some of you guys know. Mm. In 2017. That amount of myrrh and aloes would have been about $200,000. Now, inflation, $231,500 today. That is just under a quarter million of dollars. McCabe, told you I was going to ask you about that. If you're here, if you're watching upstairs, quarter million. That's outrageous. Okay? Think back six days in the story of Jesus with me. Six days before, for those who know the story, you're in John chapter 12. Jesus is in the house of his friend Lazarus. Uh, lives in Bethany. Lazarus was the guy who he raised from the dead. We're going to come back to that story. It says that there was a meal there. Dinner was being prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served. Lazarus was there, ate with him. Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping her hair, wiping his feet with her hair. <coughs> Excuse me. The house was filled with the fragrance. We go back to that smell thing. Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said that perfume was worth a year's wages. Do the math. Twelve ounces for them was a pound, equaled a year's wages. I don't know if aloe and myrrh cost the same as the essence of nard. I don't know, but let's assume they did. That is a hundred years worth of wages. A hundred years. Do you think he had that in his mattress at home? Can you imagine the phone call to the accountant? <clears throat> hey, Brother Stephen, I need to cash out my IRA. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. No, 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 not one year, two years. No, a uh, hundred years worth. Uh-huh. Yeah, don't tell anybody. I need it in cash. I told you these guys were rich, but that is something else. With him came Nicodemus, the man who came to Jesus at night. He brought with him 75 or 100 pounds of ointment made from myrrh and aloes. On a side note, the average common folk, at best, if their family really, 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 really loved them, might get 20 pounds of spices when they were buried. Joe and Nick were bringing spices fit for a king. Let's keep going. That was verse 39. What's next? 40, good, thank you. 
Following a Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen cloth. Following Jewish burial custom. These two guys were Jews. They were in the Sanhedrin. They were very, very religious. They knew that as soon as they touched Jesus' dead body, they were unclean for seven days. They would have missed all the Passover festivities. didn't matter. They were going to bury Jesus' body in the way that the Jews would bury their people. Now think about this. Long sheets of linen cloth. Did they have these at home too? Did they just go home to like linen closet downstairs and start tearing off the old beach towels? Was it a long strip or long strips? Because Luke's account says one long strip. Mark's account says one long strip. Also, Matthew's account says one long strip. John said multiple strips. It doesn't really matter. What caught my attention in Mark's account was this. Mark chapter 15, verse 46, uh, 45, it says the officer confirmed Jesus was dead. So Pilate told Joseph he, would have the, he could have the body. Joseph bought a long sheet of linen cloth, then took Jesus' body down from the, cloth, from, from the cross. Okay, timeline. I'm going to go ask Pilate for the body. Then I'm going to go to the store and buy the cloth. Time's ticking, right? Whether it was one long cloth or not, he was going to do it right. All right? And you just can't keep that anonymous. One, if it's one real long strip, where do you go? Back to that same farmer's market where you just bought out all the spices? Oh, by the way, can I have like 400 yards of this? It's a couple of times in John's gospel where John points out linen cloth used for burial. This is one of those times. The other time is the story of Lazarus. I told you I'd come back to it. If you don't know the story, read it on your own. John chapter 11, great story. Here's the short version. Lazarus was Jesus' friend. Lazarus got sick. The sisters called Jesus and said, hey, he's really sick. I know you can heal people. Can you come? Jesus says, sure, yeah, I'm on my way. And then he waits. And in the time that Jesus waits, Lazarus dies. So they bury him the way a good Jew would be buried, with linen cloths and spices, and they put him in the tomb. And eventually Jesus comes. And the text in John 11 said that Lazarus has been in the tomb already for four whole days by the time Jesus gets there. So Jesus gets there. He talks to the sisters. He gives them, you know, gives them hugs, encourages them a little bit, goes to the tomb and weeps. This is what a good friend would do outside the tomb. Goes to the tomb and weeps, and then says, Lazarus, come out, man. I can't make this stuff up. It's John 11, verse 43. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out with his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, grave cloths, his face wrapped in a head cloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Unwrap him literally in the Greek means to untie him. So picture these long strips, whether one long strip or many long strips, that have been dipped in this, uh, this spice and then tied into knots. This wrapping wasn't just one big king sheet, right, where the two guys came and they're like holding each, each end and they put Jesus in the middle and, you know, Godfather style when they're trying to get rid of a body. It wasn't like that. You guys don't know whether to laugh at that or not. I'm not trying to be sacrilegious. I'm just saying it wasn't like that, Okay. These long strips, this, this burial process for them, it was, it was artful, it was immaculate, it was painstakingly intentional. Whether one strip or, or more, every strip would have been dipped in the ointment and then wrapped and tied. Another strip, dipped in the ointment and then wrapped and tied. 
Jesus, had, his body had already been covered in this. So then he get another strip and wrapped and tied over and over and over again. This was normally a job for the women in that culture. So you've got Joe and Nick who were trying to figure this out for the first time. Joe's like, Nick, you didn't tie the knot right. Did you dip that one in the spices? Oh, shoot, we got to do this again, right? They're in a time crunch. Joe's saying to Nick, get your man fingers in order. We got to get this right. The text doesn't tell us where they did this. But I think because it was a time crunch, it's safe to assume that they didn't carry the body across town to a, to a quiet, well-lit, solitary, and sanitary room. My guess is that they wrapped the body there at the foot of the cross, where there would have been countless people walking by, hurrying to get to where they needed to go before the sun set on Passover. They would have been seen. You couldn't keep what they were doing anonymous. So you got spices, you got cloth, and then you get verse 41 and 42. The place of the crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb never used before. And so because it was a day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. The tomb close to the place of crucifixion, which is very handy because picture John holding a 55-pound bag of spices and a 20-pound dumbbell of spices, and then picture James jumping right on top of that. All right, that's close to 300 pounds of weight. I was going to say dead weight, but I didn't want to say that because that might be sacrilegious. Okay, that's a lot of weight. So not only were these guys, Joe and Nick, were they, were they wealthy, were they well-off, were they respected? They must have been strong too. But thankfully, they didn't have to go very far to this tomb because that would have been exhausting. In John's text that we just read, we're not told whose tomb it was. Mark and Luke don't tell us either. Both of them, all three of them actually just say it was a new tomb. Well, luckily, Matthew's gospel tells us whose tomb it was. Matthew chapter 27, verse 66 says, Joseph placed the body in his own new tomb, which had been carved out of rock. Then he rolled a great stone across the entrance and left. Joseph's tomb. Okay, this is important. Was Joseph poor? Was Joseph rich? You can say yes really, really loud. If he can afford quarter million dollars to drop on spices, he was well off. Now, this is important because 750 years earlier, the prophet Isaiah said that the coming Messiah would be buried in a rich man's tomb. Isaiah chapter 56, verse Nine. But when he was buried, he was buried like a criminal, and he was put in a rich man's grave. Huh. Now, all four Gospels tell us this was a new tomb. We, we rush past that. But this is important for us as readers and for the readers who were originally listening to this. It's a new tomb because, uh, it, it's important because as a new tomb, there'd be no other bodies in there. Right? No other bones in there. The way it worked for them in their custom is they would, they would anoint, they would wrap, they would put the body in. It would slowly decompose over the course of a year. They would go in, they'd get the bones, they'd move them to the back of the tomb, and then the process would continue. <coughs> there would be no other bones in there. Nobody else coming to, to Jerusalem for the weekend for Passover to visit family and to bring flowers to the grave of their loved ones. They would not have done that at this tomb that Jesus was in because it was a new tomb. 
He was the only one in there. And I gotta wonder, like at this point, I'm just exhausted thinking if I'm in their shoes, right? I can barely move that dog food from here to there without getting tired. But they have got to be tired. They've got to be thankful that this tomb is close to where the, tomb, the crucifixion took place. You know, they have come out as followers of Jesus in the last hour or two or three. They've asked Pilate for permission to take the body. They've very publicly purchased 100 pounds of spices. They've purchased long strips of cloth. They've dipped, they've tied, they've wrapped, they've dipped, they've tied, they've wrapped, they've uh, uh, picked him up. They've carried 250 to 300 pounds worth of weight to a tomb. And, and you would think that by the time they got into the tomb that they were just craving that moment where they could just be by themselves, right? That moment of anonymity, that moment where they can... Joe, what did we just do? Our life is never going to be the same again. Oh my goodness. You would, just, you would hope that they would have that one moment to just give each other a hug and say, all right, now let's go. I don't think they even got that moment. Because in Mark chapter 15, verse 47, it said that, uh, you get there, It said, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus' body was laid. I think they were the, the cave looking in. Joe and Nick didn't even have that one moment to remain anonymous. Luke's gospel, I like what they say in Luke's gospel, it says this. Uh, and his body, as his body was taken away, the women from Galilee followed and they saw the tomb where the body was placed. Then they went home and prepared spices and ointments to anoint his body. 100 pounds isn't enough, apparently. But by the time they were finished, the Sabbath had begun, so they rested as required by the law. Joe and Nick wouldn't have had a moment at all to remain anonymous. People saw. People witnessed. Because you couldn't keep what they were doing quiet. And in the story, we've got Joe and Nick right there in the tomb with Jesus. But on Easter in 2022, we, we can't leave without Jesus being out of the tomb, right? We've got to at least get to that point. So listen how the story continues. John 19, verse 42, because it was the day of the Passover, preparation for the Jewish Passover, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus' body there. Verse tw chapter 20, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved. We know that to be John. So, well, she said, they have taken the Lord's body. They've taken it out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stood and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. While the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also, uh, first also went in and he saw and believed. For until then they hadn't understood the scriptures that Jesus said he must rise from the dead. Then they went home, it says. Huh. An empty tomb. The women found it to, first. They came, they told Peter, they told the other disciple, John, and uh, John and Peter started running. Now, who wrote John's gospel? Not a trick question. 
John, John wanted it known that he was faster than Peter. This is important to guys. So he actually wrote it in there. The other disciple beat Peter to the tomb. He just didn't go in first. I love that. <laughs> Notes that both of them saw the linens. Now, what's important about that? There's going to be a thousand sermons preached on just that verse today. I'm going to give you the very short version of it. In Matthew 28, you guys can go and read that story on your own. The guards who were supposed to be guarding Jesus' tomb, when they woke up or when they looked around and realized that Jesus' body was gone, they went to the re religious leaders and said, it's gone. And the religious leaders said, you need to tell people it was stolen. It's in there, Matthew 28. Go home and read it on your own. You need to tell them that it was stolen. Okay, okay, we'll do that. Here's the problem. Would grave robbers leave the cloth? Even if they were professional grave robbers, they wouldn't have taken the time to unwrap it. If the disciples had come and stolen the car, these are fishermen with fat, stubby fingers. They would have sworn and the guards would have woken up. They would have, if they stole the body, they would have just taken the body and the linen wrappings. A lot of you have probably heard this, so what's the explanation? And I actually think this is cool. I, I hope it's not fake. Uh, but this is a, a Jewish custom, and you can confirm with me after, okay? Um, not before, because I want to tell the story, just in case it's not real. In Jewish custom, when you're sitting around a table eating a meal, um, when you are done, you leave, you crumple up your napkin, and you leave it on your plate. And you go. And then the people who are serving uh, the meal know that you are done when the napkin's crumpled up on the plate. But if your intention is to go and then come back, maybe you have to go get your keys from the car, maybe you have to go to the restroom, whatever it is, then you fold the napkin and you put it on your chair, which is apart from the table. And then when the help arrives, when the servants walk in, they see that your napkin is folded away from your plate, it means you're coming back. Never heard that before? Okay, I'm going to I'm gonna have to confirm that on... Very old. Okay. Okay. This is my friend. This is my friend. Uh, he practices the Jewish faith. Um, I'm going to go with that, okay? So if that was the case, by Jesus folding his napkin, what was he saying? I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And if Jesus was saying he's coming back, we cannot keep that anonymous. Amen? We cannot keep that to ourselves. Friends, Joe and Nick, we've been seeing last week on Friday and today, they took a huge risk. That afternoon changed their life forever. Their secret following of Jesus became not a secret anymore. We can assume that they gave up all their wealth, all their power, all their positions of prestige. We know that they gave up a quarter million dollars worth of spices and a brand new tomb. They couldn't keep it anonymous anymore. So the question comes to us, what about us? So what, right? Good sermon, pastor. Happy Easter. I'm going to go take pictures with the Easter bunny. What do we do with this? Here's my question. Are there places in your life where you're trying to keep Jesus secret? Are there places and people and situations that you don't want it known that you are a follower of Christ? Okay, now, you may think, oh, that's a strange question. It's not. Three years ago. Do the math. I'd been a pastor for 13 years. Up until about three years ago, I purposely did not post very th things very blatantly Christian, very Jesus-focused on my Facebook or Instagram. I didn't, on my socials, I didn't do that because I didn't want to offend my atheist and non-believing friends. Crazy thing is they all knew that I'm a pastor. They know I'm a believer. 
But I wanted to keep that part of me secret for some reason. So when I ask this question, are there places in your life where you're trying to keep Jesus secret? I mean it because I've lived it. So what do we do with that? Is the only day of the year where you are open about your faith Easter? When you put on your Easter clothes or you take your picture, you, you go you eat after, you do an egg hunt, you take a picture with the bunny, you post it on social media at the end and said, had a great day, got up, family went to church, had brunch, he is risen. And then the other 364 days a year, you don't live like you know him. Where are we trying to keep Jesus secret in our lives? Maybe today is the day we make a decision to stop. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 33, he said, but everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. It's a powerful verse. I thought about standing up here telling you we need to be more like Joe and Nick. No pastor should ever tell you to be more like Joe and Nick. should tell you to be more like Jesus, right? We need to be more like Jesus. And if we start living more like Jesus, then our faith won't be a secret. We won't be able to click the anonymous button because it'll be evident. So my encouragement to us is this. Find that place in your life, that one small place, even if it is small. Let it out. Okay? But in the words of, of my boss, my superintendent, don't be one of those weird Christians. You know who I'm talking about. Okay? You can follow Christ without being weird. But we need to follow Christ wholeheartedly. We need to make sure that the actions of Joe and Nick as extravagant as they were, can somehow bleed over into our lives. And that when people see what we say and they see what we do, they'll know, that's one of those followers of Jesus. How's that going to look in your life? I don't know. That's between you and Jesus. But I want to encourage you to think hard about that. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are risen and that you are risen indeed. Father, I thank you that uh, through the power of your spirit, Christ was able to be brought back to life. Not resuscitated, but resurrected. No longer to, to be a slave to fear or death. And I thank you that through Christ's death, we can no longer be a slave to sin or fear or death. Lord, every one of us at some point, every one of us will try to, to kind of keep our faith a secret. We have in the past, perhaps we will in the future. I pray that you would give us the courage of Joe and Nick. And I pray that in that courage, you'd give us the courage to live like and to love like Jesus. Because as we do that, our families will change. Our communities will change. Our cities will change. Our country will change. Our world will change. Lord, give courage to those who are following Christ to make sure for them it is not a secret anymore. I ask this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said...